This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Neimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Dr. Durhain Wong Rieger speaks about the promise and challenges of rare disease. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Dr. Wong Rieger to the stage. Our next speaker is going to address the question of rare diseases and the fact that people with rare diseases usually have to wait a long, long time just to get a diagnosis, let alone to find a cure, and so um, our next speaker, Dr. Durhain Wong Rieger, is here to tell us about the promise and the challenges of treating rare diseases. Hello, doctor, and welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, it's such a privilege to be here. So I just wanna know, how many of you know somebody that has cancer? How many of you know somebody that actually has heart disease? How about diabetes? You know anybody that has diabetes? How many of you know somebody that has a rare disease? Well, in fact, um, you should, because indeed rare diseases are not that rare. They're actually quite common. In fact, they're more common than most common diseases. If we think about it, if you take all the cancers combined, 1.8 million Canadians will have cancer. You take all the heart disease, including my husband, 1.4 million Canadians have heart disease. 2.4 million Canadians have diabetes. 2.8 million Canadians actually have a rare disease. Now, how's that? In fact, it's because there are up to about 7,000 different rare diseases. And if we actually combine people with rare diseases, there's between 300 million and 450 million people that have a rare disease. And in fact, so it's about 8% of the people. If you took all the people in the world that had a rare disease and you put them in one country, it would be the third most populous country in the world. So a lot of people have rare diseases. About um, 80% of them are genetic. Three quarters of them will affect children, which is actually quite startling. And the sad news is that of those children with a rare disease, half of them will not live to see their fifth birthday. So rare diseases are actually quite severe, debilitating, and life-threatening diseases. This is a photo that we took. Uh, we took a trip up to the Arctic Circle, took a group of patients with rare diseases, and what we actually said was that, you know what, you can do anything with a rare disease, but what is a rare disease? You know rare diseases. Rare diseases have physical disabilities, muscular dystrophy, spinal muscular atrophy. Rare diseases can actually be cognitive. ALS is a rare disease, and, you know, we Stephen Hawkins, right? We have rare diseases that can actually make people be very tall. Andre the Giant had acromegaly. 
Some rare diseases make people very short. I do not have a rare disease, I'm just short. <laughs> but there are people that are short with rare diseases, you know, growth hormone deficiency. Um, some diseases with rare diseases uh, will, you know, make you to have too much red blood cells, polycythemia, which is a problem. But in other cases, you have red blood cells that are dysfunctional, and that causes sickle cell disease, thalassemia. Some rare diseases cause multiple platelets, so people's blood is cloggy, it may actually cause, obviously, organ damage, other heart diseases. And there are other people, you will know, whose blood won't clot, hemophiliacs are a group, and those are rare diseases. Some people with rare diseases then are actually going to have um, a variety of different kinds of symptoms. Um, rare diseases can also make some people uh, age prematurely. You may have seen some of the stories around progeria. A 12-year-old will actually have aged to the age of 60. Everything about them with age. And we have some rare diseases where the children never grow beyond infancy. They actually remain infants their entire lives. Their lives, unfortunately, are quite short. They may be five or six years old, but they will still look like an infant. So rare diseases are a huge variety of diseases. What is common about rare diseases? I can tell you, really, what's common about rare diseases is that because they affect so few people, each one of them, they're very difficult to diagnose. In most cases, and we did a research survey uh, a little while back, it takes two to four years to get a diagnosis, maybe up to 14 years. And along the way, people will actually get one or two, up to seven misdiagnoses. You get diagnosed for the wrong thing. Sometimes you get diagnosed for something common. A big default for rare diseases is autism, epilepsy. The problem with getting diagnosed with the wrong thing, obviously, is that you can't actually treat what is the problem, so that actually becomes symptomatic or even can cause death. The other problem is that some of the treatments that you will have will actually be more harmful. So this is a challenge around getting access to a diagnosis. So getting a diagnosis is critical, um, but again, it can be very challenging. Again, we can't really blame a physician too much. I mean, there's 7,000 rare diseases, and in many cases, a physician will never see any of those diseases. So what we do know that's common about rare diseases is that the journey is actually quite problematic. It can be very fr uh, fragmented. It can cause a lot of pain to the parents. I'll take away a little bit into my own situation. I have two children, both born with rare diseases, different conditions. My son was born with a congenital heart defect, a valve problem. They knew it right away. He was actually diagnosed, put into you know, proper kinds of treatment, had the very best treatment. Sick kids hospitals, great you know, pediatric cardiologists, until he was 18. Then all of a sudden, of course, he's on his own. Adult hospitals don't want to deal with pediatric cardiology, uh, cardiac diseases. His care, which had been very well organized and routinely, and we come in for regular meetings, was suddenly up to you. You've got to figure out who you need to see, what you need to see. And we don't know what the prognosis is for an adult who's actually survived a childhood heart disease, right? So this is a challenge. This is a challenge for, obviously, any childhood condition, but for rare diseases, so much more so. My daughter was quite a different story. She was born with what we call nonspecific symptoms. She had low muscle tone, inability to kind of socially engage. Um, you know, she was what you call a flopsy baby. Went through the usual kinds of tests and then ran through the usual causes. No, it was not a drug problem. You know, in, in uh, pregnancy, no, she you know, didn't have any trauma during birth. And after, they said, we can't find anything. She was in rehab for a number of years for physical development and for cognitive development. She's actually wonderful today. And she heard me talking about this, she'd be mortified. So if you know my daughter, you see her, don't tell her I talked about her. <laughs> she always says, don't talk about me. <laughs> Just, she's actually doing amazingly well, but we don't know. 
you know, what the condition is, and we don't know if it's actually, you know, inherited. So this is a challenge, right? So with rare diseases, the challenge is that you need to have a system. You need to have a comprehensive system. In Canada, we do not. And one of the challenges we actually have in Canada, I ask you, you know, do you know anybody with a rare disease, is that we actually don't have a definition for rare diseases, not officially. Uh, and so it means that we don't have research monies going into it, costs of it are not really taken care of. Even if there's treatments, a lot of times they're off-label treatments, you can't get access to it. And of course, with the new therapies coming in, we need to make sure that we're addressing this. In Canada, we always say if you have a common condition, you will do exceptionally well in the healthcare system. If you have a rare disease, you will actually be far behind many others. Um, what I show you here is that we don't have a definition for rare diseases. Countries across the world have different de definitions. They vary a bit. But in Canada, we haven't got one. Now, what's the problem with that? What makes it difficult? Well, the problem is that if you haven't got a definition, guess what? It doesn't exist. And if it doesn't exist, guess what? Nobody has to do anything about it. The government doesn't have to do anything about it. The healthcare system doesn't have to do anything about it. Clinicians don't have to do anything about it. It just doesn't exist as an issue. So you need to have a definition. And that gets you started into really what it is that needs to be done about it. But why is it that Canada doesn't have a definition for rape diseases? Well, part of it has to do with the origin of the definition. Rare disease is not something that is actually a clinical definition, right? It's not something that actually speaks to an etiology, right? It isn't something that you can look at a cause of. Rare diseases are actually a utilitarian definition. It comes out of the Orphan Drug Act in the U.S. And if you don't know this story, I'll give you a shorthand version of it because it's a charming story. Um, 1983 was when the Orphan Drug Act was passed in the U.S. to provide incentives for companies to develop drugs for rare diseases because the population's small, it's difficult to do the clinical research, and quite frankly, there's not much hope of getting a, uh, a profit out of it. So companies would actually not develop these drugs. They were called orphan drugs because you'd take them and you'd put them on a shelf and you'd orphan them. A mom here, Abby Myers, was the president of the National Organization for Rare Disorders. She had two children. They were in a clinical trial for her, the rare disease, Tourette's syndrome. And one day the company says, sorry, it wasn't a drug that was actually for the rare disease. It was for a bigger population. And they kind of said, you know what? It might work with rare disease, this rare disease. So they put, started these clinical trials. And they said, guess what? It's not going to work for the population disease. So we're going to discontinue it. Discontinue making the drug, discontinue clinical trials, and we're going to discontinue your clinical trial as well. And she says, oh my God, you can't do that. My kids are on this clinical trial. They're actually doing quite well on it. So she wrote up in the newsletter the problem. A mom in California read it and said, oh my gosh, my son's on that same trial. Got a hold of Abby and says, what can we do? Abby says, you're in luck. Henry Waxman is your congressman. Write to Henry. Henry's trying to get a bill through the Congress that would actually provide incentives to develop drugs for rare diseases. So she wrote to Henry Waxman, and he says, oh yeah, come in. We'll come in and testify. Brought in a bunch of parents to testify. Guess what? Nobody showed up. Not a single drug company came. Somebody else was you know, following this and said, oh my gosh, this is a problem. And says, my brother is Jack Klickman. He does a morning show. Maybe we should feature his on the show. She calls up Jack and says, hey Jack. Jack says, oh sure, it'd be a great story. Puts it on his Friday morning show, gets national publicity around it, and they say, that's great. Jack says, we need to do a bit more. He says, why don't we do a march on Washington? We'll bring all the patients together, put them in front of the, uh, you know, the Congress, and, and actually make a demonstration. He says, so can you bring your patients down? Abby says, are you kidding? It's February, it's the middle of winter, there's snow and ice everywhere. My patients are in wheelchairs, they're disabled, they can't get down there. Jack says, no problem. He says, we have a boulevard in Hollywood looks just like Washington, D.C. We'll bring the patients there, we'll film the documentary there, and they did. They showed it in the Congress, and that was history. Congress passed the Orphan Drug Act, 
Since that time, there have been 500 new therapies for rare diseases. So it's wonderful, right? And what happened was that other countries said, okay, we need to also do this. So other countries also developed orphan drug acts to stimulate development of rare disease. Guess what Canada did? You see the little cloud on there? Canada says, we don't need an orphan drug act in Canada. It says, the rest of the world is developing orphan drugs. Why should we get involved? We can just buy the drugs and we'll just make them available to people. Does that sound a little bit like Canada? Uh-huh, unfortunately. The sad part, of course, is we don't buy the drugs. Only about 60% of the drugs that are developed for rare diseases available in the U.S. are actually approved in Canada. Only about 30% of them are actually paid for. Coming up after the break. I mean, this is the challenge we have in Canada, is that we do not recognize rare diseases, we don't recognize what it takes in order to actually identify and treat rare diseases, and so we have many of these patients falling through the cracks in our healthcare system. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Dr. Durhain Wong-Rieger speak about the promise and challenges of rare disease. This is a mom, Tracy. She actually self-diagnosed as well. She has Cushing's disease, some uh, relation to acromegalia as well. She self-diagnosed, she's a nurse. She identified the drugs that actually would be used for her. Most of them off-label. The problem is the drugs that she was taking caused a side effect, which required another drug. She convinced her drug plan to pay for the off-label drugs for her condition. But when it came to the drug to treat the side effects of those drugs, they said, no, that's it, we're not paying for those. So she didn't have to go into that advocacy. The last time I talked to her, she still hadn't gotten those covered and was paying for them out of pocket. I mean, this is the challenge we have in Canada, is that we do not recognize rare diseases, we don't recognize what it takes in order to actually identify and treat rare diseases, and so we have many of these patients falling through the cracks in our healthcare system. What we need is we need a national strategy for rare diseases. Would it surprise you to know that over 40 countries actually have developed national programs, national strategies for rare diseases, much as we have a national strategy for cancer, national strategy for heart disease, national strategy for diabetes, and with those strategies, we have significantly improved detection, prevention, we've been able to bring in treatment, we've actually brought in the research, right? And if you're living with cancer or heart disease, you're actually doing much better than we ever were. And that's the focus around having a strategy. We have no strategy for rare diseases, in part because rare diseases don't exist, but that's a different story. So what we did in Canada is that we actually created our own strategy. We followed the European model, we came up with a five-point strategy. First pillar is improving detection, and being able to improve detection means you can do prevention. In many cases, we have families that will have a second or third child with the same rare disease because nobody told them they didn't identify the rare disease until years later. Many of our patients who could get access to rehabilitation, to disability supports, to uh, educational programs, occupational health, don't qualify because their disease isn't identified. And many times these programs are identified by the list of diseases that patients qualify for. It's like having access to programs. If you have autism, you're kind of lucky. If you have something that's kind of like autism, you don't get it. This is the challenge. We need to provide access to medicines and we need to improve our uh, research. So this is a five-pronged strategy, an integrated strategy. We, produced, we launched it in the house to a lot of fanfare. I mean, they didn't think about it, but they certainly embraced it. They came out and said, wow, that's wonderful. This is great. We need to do something like this. What we did get was, I would say, sort of a very nice uh, response to it. Important for us is that rare diseases isn't just for rare diseases. All the things that we're learning from rare diseases has huge implications elsewhere, right? I mean, those of you who take a statin should know that that drug was actually developed for a rare disease, and it was identified for 
a very you know unique form of homozygous um, uh, hypercholesterolemia. So this is something that we learn from genetic testing, genomic sequencing, the ability to actually find small variations in genes that will really allow you to get the right medicines, talk about precision medicines, that comes from our knowledge of, of rare diseases, which most are genetically based. So everything we're learning, integration of care, patient um, self-management, all of these things are things that we learn out of the rare diseases, but also has implications elsewhere. So what we did get was some early wins. Minister Hoskins in Ontario says, oh, well, you know what, we can take your rare disease strategy, we'll have an Ontario strategy, and he did. 2016, he announced a working group, produced a strategy. 2017, produced the framework. Unfortunately, the government changed, and we have not implemented that framework, but hey, we're always hopeful. So we're hoping that this Ontario rare disease framework will actually get implemented. What he did do for us also, though, was to recognize that drugs for rare diseases are actually quite difficult, different from drugs for more common diseases, because the small patient populations can't do the large-scale clinical trials. Most important thing, though, is because many of these are diseases for which there are no other treatments, you want to get the drugs to the people as soon as possible. These are highly debilitating diseases. These are life-threatening diseases. So you do small clinical trials to demonstrate it works, to demonstrate that it's safe, and then you expand it, the access, and you follow the patients as they're on the therapies. This makes great sense. So he introduced in his pharmacare program a pathway for rare diseases. And he says, we need to get fast approval, we get, need to get them to patients. He also introduced a working group in 2015 that actually recommended just this last December a strategy for making these drugs available in a what we call a managed access process. Bring in the drugs early, as we say, monitor them, identify whether it's working. If it works, they stay on the therapy. If it doesn't work, they come off the therapies. But you need to get them approved first. But that was very, very important. I would say, you know, when they announced the strategy just this last December, we actually recommended this 12 years ago, but never mind. <laughs> and many countries use it, we do use it. And the other thing that happened, uh, for those of you who've been following, the federal budget announced $1 billion for over two years to set up a drug plan for rare diseases with a commitment of half a billion dollar every year. And what our job is, from now until the elections, get every party to sign on to it. So I don't care who gets elected, we still get our our plan, so we need your help in that one. I like to end with my, one of my favorite stories. This is uh, Cassandra. She was 16 years old at the time, child born with thalassemia, major. Gets transfusion every three or four weeks. She gets a daily treatment for the uh, iron chelation to remove the excess iron out of her blood from the transfusions. Most of these children are quite fragile. If you were to see somebody who lived in certain allowance with thalassemia, you would recognize that these children are actually don't thrive she is, in fact, a star soccer player, volleyball player. She does competitive dancing, uh, competitive uh, cheerleading, was named a top athlete in her school. Today, she's fourth year uh, at University uh, Teachers College in Queen's University. And this is what we say, this is what we can do, right, if we actually do this properly. Forty other countries have rare disease strategy. This year, the United Nations, and we've been working a lot with the United Nations and WHO, are putting forth a declaration for universal health coverage asking every country to bring in a universal health coverage program, regardless of the economic level, matched to their capabilities, right? And what they put in that declaration, which will be hopefully passed in September, is to say that you must make extraordinary efforts for interventions for those most vulnerable populations, and they identify specifically vulnerable populations and neglected rare diseases and disabilities. The United Nations is recognizing it. We know Philippines has a rare disease strategy. Colombia has a rare disease strategy. Chile has a rare disease strategy. What we need to do is make sure that in Canada, 
we provide the same opportunities for our patients with rare diseases as we do with more common diseases. And we're really, really very grateful for all the help and support that we get. And we're counting on you guys as well to help us get over that line. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Neimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.